Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell. But what is Comedy in a Nutshell? Well, aside from the name of this podcast, that is the very question that I, your host, Mark DeCano, put to my guests each episode in the hope that with their vast and diverse knowledge and experience in the world of comedy, they'll be able to summarise everything they've learned into a few pithy sentences, like a dictionary. I love talking to the people in the world of comedy about comedy, and if you like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. I'm not the first to refer to my guest today as something of a renaissance woman. She's a writer, a podcaster and broadcaster, a wonderful singer and a genuinely exciting rising personality in comedy, who was a semi-finalist at the 2022 Funny Women Awards. It's stand-up comedian, Hadja Woodland. Hey. Hadja, welcome. Hello. If you're happy and you're ready, we'll just dive in. Yeah. What drew you into comedy? What drew me into comedy? Um... I would say we've always had like quite a jokey family. So my family, possibly not for the best reasons, have always taken the piss out of each other. Like every single <laughs> thing that we did uh, was mm. was an opportunity to be either mocked or mock someone else. Um, whether that's healthy, I don't know. But I would say there's always been that desperation to either make people laugh um, or find yeah. the funny in stuff or say the the, the wrong thing all the time. Um, to the degree that I would sort of interrupt people to to make the joke and then, but, yeah, annoy people a lot. Um, but in terms of actually trying out stand up, it was mm. a few years ago, so 2016, um, yes. was going through going through my divorce, and I remember sort of challenging myself to just put stuff that I found funny online. So I did some little parody um, makeup videos, or not makeup videos, like lifestyle beauty tips videos. And yeah. um, and it was this way of me sort of, because I was so used to uh, self-censoring or double-checking what I was doing or asking people for permission. Um, and, and so, yeah, creating a few little videos was like my first like daring myself to just put my actual personality out there and my actual sense of humor. Yeah. And, um, and so I did a few of those or whenever the mood took me and, um, mm -hmm. you know, people were just, just like they weren't big. I wasn't trying to do sort of, you know, I should have done if seven years ago I'd gone, right, we're going to just do comedy content online. I think I would have <laughs> been in a very good position by now, but like everything in my life, I was like, oh, that'll do. We'll just do a little bit. Let's get some validation. Um, and I'd had the idea of being a sort of trying stand-up for a, after, after a couple of years of doing that. I thought, oh, maybe I could try stand-up, maybe I could. And then mm. I did my first stand-up gig, 2020, um, uh, the last week of February. So just yeah. before <laughs> just before everything hit. Um, so that was on mm. a funny woman night. Yes. Um, and yeah, I guess it was, I didn't, it wasn't like some sort of lifelong dream or anything. It was mm -hmm. slowly, and I, I wonder if this is similar for some people, you slowly give yourself permission because it just feels like, especially me growing up, it was like no one would ever even think like you can be a stand-up comic, like that's not for <laughs> me or people like me. Um, and I think it was me slowly testing out the stuff I'd put online and and being okay with like, yeah, my personality and sense of humor. Right. Um, uh, and yeah, finding the, the confidence to do that, but also like finding an authentic voice. I think I wanted to be more me on stage, right. uh, cause I've been a singer. Sorry. There's so many little yeah. <laughs> trajectories of this. I've been a singer for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're always, you're always kind of wearing a mask when you're a singer. 
to a degree. Um, so it was a way of me being like, as a singer, I would wear a nice dress and smile and be sort of this kind of sexy, mysterious thing. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being something mysterious is just like, no one would see me and think, oh yeah, you're mysterious. Completely the opposite. <laughs> but it would that's my stage. The, the person I was on stage was always kind of, oh yes, you know, I'm just so smiley and lovely and singing this song. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so comedy was like a way of daring myself to actually experiment with what I really thought and trying to make people laugh. Um, mm. So yeah, that's the long, 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 long answer. It's kind of like the <laughs> the why and the how. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and after lockdown, I sort of, yeah, started started up actually, actually gigging. Um, yeah. I wrote so many jokes over lockdown, um, undeveloped jokes for sure, but uh, yeah. like thousands and thousands of words. And so now I'm, tra- <laughs> now I'm trying to like slowly work my way through them. And yeah. you realize how much is crazy and not funny at all, actually, <laughs> when you look at it after two years. Well, it's a lot in there, isn't it? A lot to unpack because like you Always. mentioned, <laughs> uh, singer, um, also writer, uh, podcaster, radio presenter, and so on and so on and so on. And then comedian. What did you think and feel before you set foot for the first time on stage as a stand up that that first gig? That first gig? Mm. Oh, um, I was really, really excited. It was like... Literally like losing your virginity for, well, for most people, not for me. I'm a Muslim Literally. raised with all sorts of ideas. For most people, I like, let's get it out of the way. Um, no, I said completely different. That's another something else to explore um, another time. Um, but yeah, it was really like, oh, let's get this out of the way. I had right. no ideas of, oh, I'm going to be amazing. I think I'd read enough about comedy. My uh, boyfriend bought me um, Judy Carter's comedy Bible or Guide to Comedy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was very, very aware and very comfortable and confident in being rubbish so I was super super happy that it was like I'm doing this I'll you know do what I think is funny and it was a very much um, an exploratory thing for me so I and as soon as I came off I felt great like I didn't feel everything was had gone amazing but I felt like no this is really what I want to do I felt very very comfortable yeah um and I had a video to watch back and it was like, why are you closing your eyes for <laughs> 10 seconds at a time? And uh, um, why are you holding the microphone like a singer, like right up to my mouth and everything? So there's lots I was learning from it. Yeah. Um, but no, I felt good. I felt, yeah, I, I think I went into it with the right attitude and mm. possibly because I'd been a singer for so long. I've And I've done comparing as well as a singer, yeah. sort of uh, bandioki, rockyoki bands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm used to kind of bringing energy to a stage. Um, so I wasn't that worried about that side of things. Um, it was mm. more, you're, you're going to be rubbish for ages and you just have to get through it. Um, so I felt, yeah, in a quite a happy position going into it. Yeah. And then of course, didn't get to do a gig for two years. So, I mean, how did that make you feel? Because you've just done the first gig. I mean, you must've had a, a great time because you, <laughs> you wanted to go back to it. So, yeah. I mean, how was that? I mean, it's like literally having the stage pulled out from under you yeah oh oh i mean lockdown of all sorts oh it was horrendous <laughs> like just i mean i'm a sort of existential crisis kind of person anyway all the time but this was just like times a hundred um how was it i i just put it on hold and i put yeah. a lot of things on hold um and and yeah i think with uh getting diagnosed with adhd as well like a lot of people did mm. over lockdown um everything kind of sent me into a tears to be honest with the comedy all I did was um 
I didn't do any, I wasn't trying to do any of these shows or anything online stuff. I was quite against that because I <laughs> yeah, find it difficult. Um, what did I do? I just made sure that every funny idea I had, I wrote down. So yeah. that was the way I got through those two years from a comedy side of things. And I still did a few like, like com- comedy sketch videos and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really, I mean, halfway through, I, I, not halfway through, towards the end, I found TikTok yeah. and, um, yeah, did some sort of funny videos on that. Um, but didn't, um, yeah, I could have done more, <laughs> but I, there was so much to worry about, like money wise and everything. Um, what am I doing in my life? And oh, all the people who have like been sensible are, are okay. And everyone who wants to be a creative and, you know, so that's, I, I did the podcasting mainly through lockdown. I think that was my main creative outlet, right. um, book podcasting. So yeah. Yeah, could have done more, maybe. <laughs> so you talked about your comedy um, having made thousands of notes during lockdown. How far from that first gig have you evolved without the feedback of a live audience into to coming out of lockdown and going back to comedy again? Oh, so between, you know what? my I, uh, I think my fourth gig ever mm-hmm. um, was Comedy Virgin's gig. Yeah. And um, I'd done a couple of them, so I think... Yeah, over lockdown, I did nothing. That first gig was Funny Women. And then I did a Comedy Virgins gig and I was awesome. Like it was so, <laughs> I, it was the most relaxed I'd been. The, my first one there was not great, but um, I, I think I sort of got the lay of the land a little bit, knew what I was doing mm. um, just in terms of the environment. And I tried a different approach. So I just had three things to talk about rather than like heavily scripted, trying to remember everything. Right. And yeah, I was really, really good. And you know how they give away those little old things at the end because i plastic trophy yeah <laughs> yeah because i hadn't um won that the last time i stayed in my seat and people were like no get up and go i was like no no i don't want to and i think if i had gone up on stage i might actually have found finally won it um or at least come close um and yeah i came off and everyone's like well we actually thought you were just a, a regular performer trying out new stuff um mm. and it, i felt super super easy um doing doing that i mean i pretended i sh- i'd just eaten a massive bowl of pasta and i was wearing a like a really maternity looking dress and i just made myself look pregnant and that sort of got um i don't know what it was that i just felt so yeah easy about that and i guess the persona would have been likable persona if you can instantly make fun of yourself on stage and that yeah. um and the jokes weren't particularly well thought through or anything like that but um it, i think i must have been a bit more myself I was definitely more open mm. I, I spoke uh, you know I spoke about growing up Muslim which always gets people going oh okay so she's not just you know, normal white girl or whatever <laughs> um but yeah the difference so the difference between the very first gig and then the first one after lockdown was yeah. was very big um because it was the first time I spoke a bit more about myself so I'd say that was the bigger the, the bigger difference which I hadn't noticed before yeah um and then I'd also learned, I mean, it took me a while after that because I did Soho Theatre's course um, mm-hmm. last summer, or, yeah, last summer, um, their Comedy Plus Lab. And that's where um, I think, I, yeah, I analysed my performance a bit more and the sorts of jokes I did and yeah. was more comfortable being open and vulnerable and talking about myself. Um, and, yeah, so the difference from the Comedy Virgin's gig and that is, is, was was quite big too but honestly I think there's something that happened I don't think I've been as good good as that fourth gig 
<laughs> I've definitely, I've definitely developed in some ways, but like, <laughs> I am. Um, I think something happened where I got weird nervous energy, and I've never really been nervous on stage ever. Right, and then suddenly something has just come about where I've like had to really work to control my breathing and all that. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the 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 first one we the, the very first funny women gig was interesting because I learned that there are certain jokes I can't make or that there's you know I think um I was trying to make a joke about um my ex's new girlfriend and mm. how like all women um I you know I got my friends were saying don't worry don't worry you're so much prettier than she is like everyone does this to their their girlfriends when their exes get get a new partner <laughs> and um and I was like you know do you think I care about this I'm a feminist we, women have um been through you know we can buy houses now we can get jobs we don't have to swallow if we don't want to with all these things and we've achieved so much do you think I care if she's if she's uh prettier than me of course I don't care if she's pretty than me. I care that she's thinner than me and no one laughed not one per like they just didn't find it at all uh, and wow. and speaking to someone else they're like yeah because you're too slim and like even though I'd put on like a lot of weight for me I put on like 15 percent of my body weight <laughs> I had put on a decent amount it was like no you're a slim woman so you can't even make jokes about that it's like oh so I've been through the 90s and I can't even talk about that terrible in you know time that we've all internalized um so I just sort of veered away from those um, those jokes. So and then, mm. <laughs> kind of a few things. Maybe I'll try it again, but it really pisses me off when you can't make certain. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if women are a bit more. I don't know. I wonder if certain certain audiences just. I hate that idea of oh, you can't joke about that because of how you look or what you are. Right. Yeah. Like, I know it is an important principle of comedy, but it yeah pisses me off because it's quite hard to find the right. I feel like every woman can talk about weight, whatever she weighs, because we're all like being bombarded with these messages that yeah. Is that not? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me that thin women talking about their weight is like reinforcing the stereotype, isn't? It? Yeah, yeah, because it is. That's that's literally yeah. what we were. What I was raised with was a load of slim women talking about their weight and losing yeah. the extra pound here and there and stuff. And yeah. God, we all thought like Monica from Friends was fat <laughs> and looking at the, the what their fat suit was like a size twelve. It was insane. <laughs> like we went through this. Yeah. Like we hated women. <laughs> it was oh, who was I talking to yesterday? Actually, um, and I might see if I can bring some of this on stage. Mm -hmm. So I think the joke actually that I realized through solo theatre was the joke is me talking about not being able to talk about that stuff. Yeah. That's the area I need to explore. Mm. I mean, the magazines I read, I remember, I think it was an, ep an issue of Just 17, which was for, even though it's called obviously Just 17, it was like for 12, 13, 14 yeah. year old girls would read it. And I remember them talking about Gwyneth Paltrow favoring the cigarettes and coffee diet <laughs> and a... Um, a, a trick that supermodels use to get full was to dip cotton wool in orange juice and eat that to keep their stomachs full. This Jesus. was literally <laughs> stuff that was in, and they were reporting on it like, oh, you know, these are bad ways. But it's like, why are you telling children this? Yeah. This is how much. We eat. Wow. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's how I bring in that this is why thinner <laughs> matters to me because I was reading magazines that told you to eat cotton wool. Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. Um, as you can expect, I probably can't remember where we started. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, this reminds me of something that we've spoken about before, which is, you know, why yeah. is it that young women in their thirties talk about being old? 
and I'm a 50 year old mm. and I'm going, Hey, my life's just beginning. So how dare yeah. you frankly be so upset about getting old when you're 15 years younger than me, you know, because it's not about how you experience exactly. age. It's about how you perceive society perceiving you. Yeah. Um, and that's the, and like, yeah, we're all raised with mothers. Well, yeah, my mum, my mum in my head will always be like 36 and she had four children mm. under the age of 10 when she was 36. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking that was like, and even at the time, actually, we considered that middle age, 35 plus was middle age mm. and some definitions of it still are, but now it's like 45, 50 in middle age. Um, I think a lot of women are talking about aging in their thirties because it's such a shock. <laughs> the difference between your late twenties and your thirties feels so different. Right. Like I, I was at a, um, and the, how men interact with you and, and how men perceive you too. Mm. Um, and the sorts of men you attract. Um, and there's just something about not having that lovely, naive vitality <laughs> that you do in your twenties that is so appealing to predators. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's basically, I'm lamenting no predators want me anymore. <laughs> like why? <laughs> Why are no men coming up to me who are twice my age? It's just so upsetting. Um, <laughs> damn it. Well, I remember doing a, a, a singing gig, a re really nice high-end like uh, Jewish wedding, I think it was, mm. um, at like, I don't know, St. Pancras Hotel or something extravagant like that. And I'm with the, um, the other singer, and she is bombshell, gorgeous, Marilyn Monroe, just beautiful. And she's only like... I think she's about eight years younger than me. She's now Rod Stewart's backing singer and she is incredible. Mm -hmm. And me, <laughs> um, we are standing outside the um, the main ballroom and this guy comes up to both of us while I'm standing with her. And I, I look the best I'm ever going to look. Like this is me in a beautiful <laughs> fitted ball gown. My hair done nicely and perfect makeup and all that sort of thing. I'd just been on stage. And um, he comes up to both of us and... Well, it comes up to her. It's like, oh my God, you're amazing. You're so gorgeous. Just, you're incredible. You're incredible. You're good too, looks at me. <laughs> but yeah, you are just amazing, amazing. And we're like, oh, this is, it. that was the start. I was like, oh, it's happening. I'm not even, like, yeah, no one, no one comes up to me <laughs> like that anymore. When I was making my most, the most effort I've ever going to make on a night. And I think that was actually quite a bit of a turning point. When I, and I think that is why we talk about it. Because it's just, mm. um, it's when you are used to, um, I think, yes, but I'm weirdly being used to being looked at or being used to being harassed. <laughs> like I said, it's just, uh, I have so much more free time now <laughs> that men are coming up to me. <laughs> I'm bored. What do I do? Um, yeah. It is a weird thing talking about aging on stage. And I was listening to this, uh, Stephen Rosenfeld's, uh, is it Stephen Rosenfeld? Um, yeah, his uh, audiobook. Um, and. It, yeah, he was like, the the thing isn't the funny thing. It's how you feel about the thing, how you feel about the situation. Mm. So your age is not, um, aging isn't a fact. Like it's not I'm I'm old is not a fact, but how I feel about growing older is mm. and, and how I feel about myself is he. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all about finding those attitudes and feelings yeah. to talk about them without alienating people. Because, yeah, I mean, I did, we actually got Sarah Roberts doing my Woking comedy night next week. Mm -hmm. And um, she posted a clip the other day of talking about how she was, you know, getting, turning 30 mm -hmm. and like someone sort of shouted in the audience, like, like, boo, because <laughs> like, they were 60. And she was like, oh, you're not even letting me out to my punchline. Um, so, yeah, how to bring an audience along with you yeah. when you're talking about that stuff is, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, you have to sort of 
kind of want to acknowledge everyone's experiences, but also not be too bloody yeah. Gen Z. Yeah. Like, <laughs> can we talk about every single other person in this room first? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But that is what I talk about. Yeah. How far do you feel that your other skills, like the performer in you as a singer or the structure of being a writer, how do they inform your stand-up? If I had routine, they'd inform them a lot. <laughs> if I could sit down every day and be like, this is what we're doing today, it would be, I would be like, yeah, they inform every day. I sit down at 8am and I write and then in the evening I sing and I maybe write a, a song, a comedy song. Um, <laughs> that would be the ideal and I'd say a lot. Um, it is now, I'm letting it, I'm letting the comedy letting the music and the singing come into the comedy. And I'm mm-hmm. realizing that I'm not going to be a musical comedian, but I am definitely going to, there's there's no point in being able to sing. I think if you're not going to like, that's, I feel like a whole performer mm-hmm. when I sing as well. Right. And it's an easy cheat code too. Cause it's like, you suddenly gain respect from people. And like, okay. So she has a talent. So it's like, <laughs> she's not just completely wasting our time if nothing else lands. Um, so that's, um, <laughs> The writing, like, yeah, because I've got a creative writing master's. Mm -hmm. I went to Paris a few years ago and I did an MA and learned a lot. Feel like I've forgotten it all. Um, But I will, like, when I I know about storytelling Mm. and I I, I think I know instinctively what works and what doesn't when I'm reading someone else's work. Um, So I I do actually have a lot of plans constantly to um, sit down and analyse my own jokes like that and properly write them out. It's a little bit haphazard at the moment. Um, but yeah, the singing definitely. And also, so when I did Bandioki and Rockyoki gigs, mm. the style of that was me really celebrating the audience. So, uh, with like, yeah, Bandioki, I don't know if you've ever been to a Bandioki gig, but it's uh, karaoke with a live band. Yeah. And so the compare would be me would sing a couple of songs, but mainly I'd be going out and getting people on the stage. Um, and they sign up, say, so you know, hopefully one or two people at a time on stage. And you're just kind of bigging them up and help, like keeping the energy up. Yeah. Um, and I think I went through locked uh, after lockdown, um, towards the end of it, I was uh, just I was just feeling shit anyway. And I was playing with keeping that persona on stage and just like quite bitter and quite bleh and <laughs> and it just I don't think it it didn't work for me because like my personality isn't that. I don't think that's the the best. Of, like I can be a bit bitter and cutting and stuff, but I think my I'm at my best when I'm trying to make people feel energetic and happy and positive. Um, So that's definitely um, an angle I, I brought from, from the comparing side of stuff. Um, Mm. And with the singing, yeah, I I would like to go a bit further with it and not necessarily make everything funny all the time. So for a one hour show I'm working on that, we'll have a little bit more of the, the authentic tender difficult stuff um mm. around the funny stuff i think i'm more i'm less worried about trying to be really funny and more concerned about telling a, a good story that makes people laugh right. um so i think that's probably how i'm bringing those all the skills together at the moment she says <laughs> i'm doing a workshop with elf lions in may so yeah i can get all my stuff together by then <laughs> um <laughs> and hopefully i'll have a proper work in progress a proper one hour by by the summer which will be exciting yeah is that uh, planned for Edinburgh? No, I will be going to Edinburgh for five days. Yeah. Um, but no, I haven't. I will need to book in, book it in. I think I'm just, just doing things the way I can see them working. I don't think I'm going to be doing anything properly or the way that everyone else does it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Well, I'm trying to remember, like, what is it? 
if you want to do something, just be it, just do it. So if mm. you want to book yourself on, you know, just book the theater, just book the venue, just put on the night Yeah. without, it's like, cause ultimately what are you even trying to do? Like, I'm not, I don't know where I fit in the industry. I don't particularly know the industry very well, but I do know how to book a place, tell people about it and put on a show. Mm. So if I can actually just commit to myself a bit more to make that show as good as it can be and to add extra layers and I think the reason I'm in full-time work now for the first time in 13 years and um, being a content producer and copywriter forever, mm. uh, but now I'm in a proper job. And the reason is, and I have to keep remembering this every day when I get wrapped up in my job is you're only doing it to get money to like make you more creative and, and help you mm. fuel this thing. Otherwise I'm just wasting my time. So um, I might write that on my wall because I keep, I do need to remember. <laughs> um so yeah, I think there are some basics and I'm very lucky that I've had such a, like a varied experience, uh, both of like the business world and the creative world. It's like, I have, I have all the tools. I just yeah. have ADHD. can <laughs> <laughs> get it done. Yeah. Nearly there. So you talked about being yourself. How far on stage are you yourself? Is it, is, how do you imagine your persona on stage? Is it, is it the unvarnished you or are you playing a character still? Um, I'm probably still it's funny actually because I was thinking oh I'm I'm just me but actually I'm not I'm the energetic me I did on the old gigs mm. and I spend most of my day indoors by myself alone so I'm not that energetic <laughs> it takes me a long time to like I well I can't even jump up and down because of my knee right now I haven't been I actually haven't been able to jump for four years so that's how little energy I actually have in my body <laughs> um so uh so yeah you know, and I wonder if there's a big link there, actually. So physically, I'm lacking in energy because <laughs> I can't move. Um, so I wonder if that is actually why my personality doesn't feel so energetic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say the persona is is trying to be a little bit more energetic. I'm still finding it because at first when I did the Soho Theatre thing, I think we sort of saw me as quite rock chicky bitter almost I, like, right. I talked a lot about my relationship and made mm. jokes about him and he's brilliant Curtis because he lets me make any sorts of jokes about him that I want um <laughs> but then I was like am I leaning too far into this kind of bitter girlfriend and that's not actually the that's not actually my life mm. um so I'm trying to think my last thing at Soho Theatre it's it's pretty close to me mm. um I would say it's still TBC. I'm get I'm getting there. I, I would say I've still probably got another year of trying out my full range of material. Yeah. Um and and the singing as well. Um and it yeah, it's it's it, it's almost there. I think what was that? I'm trying to think what my jokes are even are about. That's all about my, you know, dad. I can make a joke about my dad mm. being like the only immigrant I'd send back home kind of thing. <laughs> I that's it's <laughs> not, not very nice, but um yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost me, but a little bit more cutting, maybe. So the last thing I think that you did at Soho Theatre was um, Weapons of Masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was so good. What's the premise behind that gig? What was your part in it? Um, so Janan Yunus, who runs this night, um, she it's a really successful night around yeah. London and it's um, obviously a play on Weapons of Mass Destruction. So it's Middle Eastern performers. Mm-hmm. Um Apparently, I class as sort of Middle Eastern um, because of my dad, and uh, yeah, so it's Middle Eastern performers taking the stage, and it's re- it's it's really good, and it's a really different 
it's interesting being in an audience that understands a bit more because I'm not used to people understanding that side of me mm. and also listening to the other other comedians you're like oh it wasn't just me um yeah so that's I, yeah I always forget how important that relatability element is not all the time you don't have to have been through what a comedian's been through but you think oh god yeah just culturally it does make a does make a difference where you're like oh yeah I'm not not just that my dad's crazy it's that he's Iranian <laughs> um <laughs> so that night came about and uh, well she I think because we had done the Soho Theatre mm. Labs that's why I was asked to do it yeah um and yeah I did I did a 10 minute bit and I just did half of it sort of on the upbringing slash dad stuff yeah and then the second half was the aging thing um and I brought in my song um about sort of being being at that age where it's now or never um mm. and the song is about botox um, <laughs> so that's that goes that goes down quite well um yeah it went really really well i i spent i hadn't performed that i performed tiny bits of that 10 mm. minutes but hadn't performed it all so i took the day off and literally just practiced it over and over and over yeah um until i was sort of and even it's that funny thing where it got to like four o'clock and I had a couple of friends that I could have met up with mm. and I was like, I could, I'm probably almost there. But I, instead I just spent the next two, three hours right up until going up to go through it. I'm really glad I did. Um, it's so funny when you have those moments where you're like, mm, I'm sure it'll be all right, but actually it just needs, just needs me to, it needs to get solidified in my head a bit more. Mm. Um, but that was, yeah, it was sold out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really good night that was. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the upbringing slash dad stuff. Um, so you wrote an article for The Independent September of last year, which was entitled From Devout Muslim to Stand-Up Comic, How Comedy is Helping Me Unpack My Complicated Identity. Mm. But the article itself, presumably from uh, word limitation, really it felt like there was a lot in there to to unpack. But yeah. it, but it, uh, it just skimmed the surface and I wondered what it, what it really was with the heart of the point of what you wanted to say. Um, the heart of it was to try and promote a, uh, pod live podcast, show. <laughs> um, which didn't end up going ahead because <laughs> I canceled it because the queen died and uh, I thought, oh, well, um, but, uh, yeah, the point of that, the point of that is more that stand up is kind of like a good arena. Um, it's a good way of going over a, a range of things from your childhood and life and all these things that don't seem that relatable mm. um like the title of my uh solo show i'm working on is nothing fits and it's just about i literally don't feel that any of these labels right. in a world and age where we're just all obsessed with labels like none of them fit which is fine um and it's just sort of exploring each one and and acknowledging that no one no, like no label fits for anyone at all so why are we so obsessed with this why are we so hung up on it yeah um and and finding the themes underneath the labels that are more important. Uh, so I think working with Elf Lyons, she mm. helped me uncover that actually the main theme of what I'm working on is confidence. It's where did my confidence go? As right. a child, I was super, super confident um, and or had big ambitions. Yeah. I think I told you last time, and I've said this on stage, that when I was, yeah, when I was 11, I wrote, I, I found um I found the Spice Girls fan club address in Smash Hits magazine. And I thought, mm. well, I'm going to write them a song. And um, 
I it wasn't just any song; it was a Christmas song because I'm, you know, I was a very savvy kid. I was like, I know that Christmas songs make all the num- like the number ones, and it wasn't just a Christmas song for the Spice Girls; it was about Princess Diana as well. <laughs> so I was just like, um, <laughs> really, I like to have that level of confidence. And I then told my friend about it as well. I had a pen pal, and <laughs> she I was like, literally, well, I've just sent a song off to the Spice Girls. So you never know. Um, and to have that level of confidence. And yet what happens is um, either the society, the world, your parents, your career, whatever, just knocks knocks bits out of you. And unless you have been prepared like with the skills to be resilient, um, you know, it's really, really hard to sort of hold on to that real, real sense of, of true confidence yeah. that belies religion as well because my whole identity was so tied up with my religion. Yeah. Um, and that when I lost that, it was like, well, what even am I? What and and I guess I've only just thought about this. I was so confident about myself because of my religion. Because like as kids, you're like, oh, well, you're going to hell, Christo, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and we'd have these discussions as children. So yeah. it's like when you have that ultimate confidence that you're going to heaven, um, it's like and when that goes away, like, well, I'm going to hell, but <laughs> so little shit, I lost my virginity, going to hell, and <laughs> no confidence. Um yeah, so that article it it does just skim it, um, and I still and but I think it represents my comedy at the moment because I'm like I don't know which thing to start with first. Yeah, where do I like the very current thing? As I'm getting old, I spend far too much time staring at my face in the mirror and looking at these lines and holding up my eyebrows and like doing this and then holding up my tits as well. It's just all <laughs> held held up. How can I just delay it for as long as possible? Just rubbing oil in my face like for no reason, and yet I still frown which is the main cause of these um <laughs> of this aging um so that's the most current thing and then the other stuff is mm. it's probably not that important to me anymore but it is interesting right um, and it's still a foundation so some of it makes up my personality yeah and i and whatever identity i have and some of it is just what i'm going through right now yeah and side note to that i realized actually that when i uh social media has changed so much you know how our social bios used to be like a job title or, yeah. you know, and then it yeah. became, so this is what I do. I do, you know, write or sing or whatever. Mm. And now I've noticed it like TikTok and, and Twitter and Instagram. I've seen the, 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 the social profiles I see now from like random accounts that follow me will be like currently going through a divorce, forgot two children and looking <laughs> for love. Like it's, it's, it's changed a lot. People are now so aware of, yeah. their lives that it's like this is their identity becomes just so it's short term it's like right right now i'm going through this and this is me and then yeah. in a year i'll put something else and like none of us have these lovely solid identities yeah. because we're always looking for external things to to make them up or to make to help other people make sense of them right um yeah. But yeah, maybe I will try and do, I do want to do more writing. I used to write so much about, well, I wrote a whole bloody book slash memoir about my upbringing. Mm. So I do keep thinking, can I just dig that out and maybe turn chapters into a podcast or something that would possibly be the yeah the, the way of getting some of that out in a more sincere way, um, I think. It's interesting because um, in this article, you you use in the title the phrase, how comedy is helping me unpack my complicated identity. You've obviously got a lot to talk about in terms of upbringing and religious background and what have you. And I just feel like you don't talk about that on stage. And you've said there that it's not what I'm talking about now because I'm talking about age or what have you. Mm. Is it something that you've avoided talking about or that you just, you're not sure how to phrase it perhaps yet? 
I'm not sure how to phrase it all. There's a personal thing, which is like, at what point do I get to let it go? Right. Because a lot of the stuff that I struggle with is not funny. I mean, I can make, I can try and make it funny, hmm. but it's actually like, it's deeply horrid shit, okay. <laughs> like growing up and, yeah. um, you know, and having quite a confusing um, slash abusive upbringing, like not, you know, from, it was, wasn't, wasn't easy. Yeah. And it wasn't the worst, you know, um, but it, you know, there's a lot of difficult stuff in there. And, and because I've spent, I think when I was going through the phase of writing uh, my memoir and literally for like years trying to turn it into something and I had like agency interest and um, mm -hmm. publisher interest and I just couldn't finish it, couldn't edit it the way I needed to. Right. And I'm like now going, God, you're fucking 37, move on, like just be, just be normal. <laughs> like that's literally <laughs> how I feel. I was like, can you just be normal and just talk about the normal stuff? Because... I was hoping that I'd get to this point of grappling with my identity mm. and then be like, cool, now I can do the stuff I want to do. It's like when we ask, I don't know, female engineers about being women. It's right. like, what, well, ask them about being an engineer, not about being a woman. Yeah. And so for me, I've been trying to do that to myself. It's like, just let it all go. But I can't. Like that's it's, And this is the world we're in as well. This is the mm. interesting stuff that the stuff I've been through gives me different insights and gives me um you know, knowledge that people wouldn't necessarily know I've had, you know, they don't under know that I used to recite the Quran and like pray five times a day and yeah. fast during Ramadan and knew more about, you know, Hadiths and Islamic lessons than, than most, than a decent amount of Muslims. Mm. You know, I, <laughs> I, I have this sort of hidden uh, layer um, and I, I don't know how to make that relatable. And I, I, I think part, part of the problem is that, it's very hard for someone who looks like me to mock that stuff. Like I have to really help people buy into who I am and what my experience was to be able right. to do that. Like I can't make fun of the headscarf and it's really annoying <laughs> because I wore it, <laughs> you know, cause I wore it from five to 18. I wore the headscarf. Hmm. It, I have many, many opinions on wearing the headscarf. Yeah. And yet if I'm a white woman on stage, seemingly white woman on stage trying to make a joke of that, yeah. It, and especially if that gets taken out of context. So you might, especially in the, you know, today's age, if I were to put like a good 30 second clip that got laughs and people to just see that, right. like, what's this white woman do making, you know, they would be for her whole show or whatever. Fine. I, I could, but, um, so yeah, it's very difficult to know how to, and I've always been raised to not try and offend people as well. Um, not just because mm. the climate, like my family's always quite safe with anything you say in public we've always and, and weirdly all the companies i've ever worked for and done copywriting for have all been on the very safe sort of right. side they're mm. they're not like the the big um out there brands so i've sort of trained myself to be like oh don't want to offend people don't want to say this that and the other <laughs> um but sometimes i'm like it's so boring to just be like oh yeah everyone do what you want just live your own life kind of thing it's like yeah, yeah but also there are consequences and there are consequences of a five-year-old girl wearing a headscarf, you know, mm. and I can't pretend that when I, I can't joke about this, but I can't pretend that when I see a five-year-old girl in a headscarf, that doesn't make me feel, you know, very strongly about that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I feel, um, you know, brings up all sorts of things. Um, yeah. and, and how to make a joke about that stuff is, is very tricky because yeah, it's Islam as well. It's not, um, you still feel as a Muslim that you have not that I would, call myself a Muslim, but that you have a responsibility to not make the religion look bad because it gets so much bad press anyway. So it's like, oh, well, you can't. Um, yeah. So it's feeling, and I don't know if I'm brave enough or male enough to just say, 
say stuff with you know with impunity yeah um she says as if she's gigging to more than 20 people (laughs) (laughs) well you raise an interesting point there again because about being a a a woman in comedy i mean how is how are audiences reactions to you as a woman or how has the industry react to you as a woman because i think from my observations as an audience member that things are very different now um very more diverse and progressive now than they were 10 20 years ago but what is your experience because obviously you've been on the receiving end of it yeah um i don't know and i am trying to be i'm so i (laughs) I went through a phase of like really calling myself a feminist and I think it was because I didn't have anything else to believe in. And to the point I I, I was, I wrote uh, an essay or short essay in a book, uh, a, pub, a book published by Virago called I Call Myself a Feminist. So I was, I was believed in it. <laughs> um, and now I sort of, I do, I would still call myself a feminist, but in a very different, I don't like the corporate um, sort of way it's, uh, you know, uh, what would you, what do you call it? There's a word for it. I can't remember. Um but just how it's so airy, fairy, floaty, nothing feminism. Just, eh, just where do you, I hate it. Right. Do what you want. Oh, we can do this. Oh, but also we care about poor people. And oh, oh, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it just, I, I hate the corporate sponsorship of feminist causes as well. I hate, I'm not a massive fan of like uh, DE&I uh, initiatives. I agree with them. I don't like the way they are um, promoted and right. executed and, and, the, the very idea of them is more popular than the actual, it's like people aren't doing anything. They're just talking about it. Mm. Um, so I have like a few opinions, if I had an opinion. Um, in terms of the, yeah, being a woman on stage, I'm just trying to forget that. I I think if you get very aware of it, it can make it worse. And I'm literally trying to get past the point of blaming everything on being a woman or on men being men. I don't right. think it's helpful to anyone. Um, it's definitely not helpful for me because you end up giving yourself excuses and you see things through a negative lens and you know we all we all know that if you are on the lookout for things you'll see them yeah uh, whether they exist or not so i'm trying to train myself to not go oh it's because he's a man or, oh it's because i'm a woman mm. um i don't um and like the world is the world so it's like yeah fine people might not laugh because you're a woman or they might not find a joke that they'd find funny if it was delivered by a man but i'm like what are you going to do like mm. all i can do is is be better and adapt to whatever room i'm in if, if possible yeah um and I think, yeah, there are pros and cons, I guess, to being a woman on stage, depending on the audience you're dealing with. But I think good is good and funny is funny. Um, I really, I really do think that. So I just need to, I know, I know being a woman can affect likability that, you know, we, we can talk about people are more likely, less likely to seem likable. Um, but again, it's not helpful. So I don't, I don't, I've spent so long looking at the world through that lens and it's depressed me and it hasn't helped me it might be true but it hasn't helped me in any way and i genuinely think we should um just raise more girls to not give a fuck like to not see the world through that lens because i think as soon as you start seeing that lens you you see it everywhere and it can stop you just being who you want to be yeah um uh, yeah it works both ways whether you're um so aware of having to act feminine or you're so aware of wanting to act against what society expects and stuff. So yeah, yeah I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to forget about it. Although I did have, I think <laughs> I said this as well. I, I have got some stock responses. Should yeah. there be any sexist stuff said to me on stage? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I haven't had the occasion to use it because no one shouts at me anymore. Like I said, I don't, I don't get <laughs> harassed anymore. Um, so either cause I, 
come across as scary or just <laughs> not attractive enough to to do that too. No, I, ha- I have a brilliant response. If anyone were to ever say, I'm just hoping that one day someone will say nice tits. <laughs> And I'm wearing lower cut tops every time and it's still not happening. Because um, if someone were to say nice tits, I would, I've got this brilliant response, which is, if you like them now, you would have loved them when I was 14. And I love that <laughs> response, but I have absolutely no occasion to use it because no one shouts nice tits at me anymore. So <laughs> the only way I get a laugh out of that is explaining. Maybe I'll give it to a hot, a hot young thing. She can use it. Um, <laughs> Yes, that's one of my, my favourite, <laughs> literally one of the favourite things I've ever written is I'm never going to say on stage because <laughs> no one shouts it anymore. Oh, yeah. I've just, I'm going to just throw this in here. I saw... Um, is it nice to... No, I saw um, I saw Sam Brown, uh, singer, mm. a number of years ago now, and she was wearing uh, an accentuating dress. Let's put it that way. She was very... She was very... Well upholstered, yeah, my mother yeah, would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you could see that she was in, in good form. <laughs> a bit delicate as I can. And a member of the audience, a woman in the audience um, from the balcony shouted down something. And uh, Sam on the stage said, oh, what's that? Nice chest. And she's like, oh, yeah, thank you. And the woman said, no, 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 shouted again. She goes, what, nice breasts? And she goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> and it turned out she said, nice dress. But it's <laughs> just fixating on, obviously, the, the, the cut of the dress. Well, actually, that's a good response for me. So if anyone ever shouts out anything and it's not, but nice tits. Yeah, no, no, thanks. I'll just keep saying that every time. <laughs> Probably like the only, the only female comedian that wants to have nice tits shouted at her. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, we're 10 minutes in. Why has no one commented on my... <laughs> yeah, excuse me, everybody. What do I have to do? You know. But I genuinely, this is where I'm different to people. I, to a lot of people, I could not give a shit if anyone screams out comments like that. Go for it. Say it to men, say it to women, don't care. Like on the street, if a man shouts something at me on the street, as long as it's not in an aggressive way and as long as he doesn't then come up after me, fine. Say it, say it. Like it's not, I don't know what, how many things there are that you can't say nice before that is actually not nice to hear. Like nice hair, nice tits, nice dress, nice ass, nice whatever, fine. (laughs) Just don't run after me with a boner and then you're fine. fine. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a naked energy bar. It's just gone to my head. Um, so tell me about the night that you run in Woking. Oh, the night I went run in Woking. Uh, so it's called Comedy Magnifique. It's at Cellar Magnifique, which is a uh, lovely wine bar. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Woking a year ago and uh, there was no comedy as far as I could discern. And uh, so I struck up a friendship with the guy who ran the bar. Mm-hmm. And did a few singing gigs for him. And then last, yeah, September launched our first comedy night. And now it sells out every month and we get good headline acts. It's sort of, yeah, it's great. It kind of looks after itself. Hmm. I know we've spoken about the first night and how we did. And I've actually remembered that because I needed to give a reason why I was so like falling apart that first night. (laughs) So I know you've said, oh, you seem visibly nervous. Yeah, It wasn't that I was nervous. It was, well, it sort of was, but I had taken ADHD medication right. and I was on 50 milligrams of, of Listex amphetamine, which is effectively speed and <laughs> hadn't adapted very well to it. And my heart rate was very high. And I also decided, oh, a glass of wine will be fine. Ah. So that is, because <laughs> basically I thought, oh, by the end of the day, medication should have worn off. And so then you can maybe have a glass of wine. No, apparently it takes two or three days to actually leave your system and it hadn't worn off by then. Um, so <laughs> that is my main excuse for how, why I was just all over the place. 
because as soon as I felt that rising, like, yeah, anxiety and the heart rate, I was like, it's just all over the place. Couldn't keep track of what I was saying or doing. Um, but it's been much better. Well, actually, then the next month I was like, fine. Yeah. Don't, I came off the medication. No, no, I, I didn't have wine with the medication, but I was still on the medication. I was like, maybe this will be okay. It still wasn't. And then yeah. the following month I had neither wine nor medication and it was great. So yeah, realized I can't, I can't do gigs on, on medication. Yeah. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> well, you didn't look uncomfortable. You just looked rightfully. Well, I think that was learned. Yeah. 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 Rightfully nervous probably. But I think it was, um, yeah, not, not looking uncomfortable is just cause I've, you know 10 years of holding a mic and wandering around and just yeah say, like saying the wrong thing to people yeah. um and you had a phenomenal lineup to back you up the first i mean for a first night outing um tom elwes farris sharp martin graham uh roman harris yeah awesome. and yourself i mean as as mc what i mean what a great night yeah it was awesome and it's just it really has got better and better yeah. Um, we put the ticket prices up a tiny bit, um, so I can pay people ever so slightly more. And um, but I think it's mainly because I it's the Tuesday night, and I just pay. I think I pay people well. I think from my background as a singer, which is a very different world to comedy in terms of um, gigs and pay, and like you know when I did corporate gigs, it's like oh any gigs you get a green room, you get fed, you sort of everything's kind of taken care for, taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, and I sort of wanted to just, it was really important to me that the act, even though it's a small venue, there's literally only like Mm. a a sofa for them to sit on, that they are comfortable and looked after and they have drinks and food and, and yeah, they're paid decently for a Tuesday night. Um, so hopefully that will keep more people coming and the word will spread. Um, and the other big acts will know that it's like a safe space to, to yeah. try new material out um and to, and also to test stuff out because woking is an interesting crowd it's an interesting audience mm-hmm. um and it's 7 30 you know it's not late night comedy drunk sort of crowds uh yeah. comedy club crowds and it finishes at 9 30 because we all like a sensible bedtime that's like my main <laughs> aim like i don't care if you had a good night we're having we're going to sleep now um <laughs> but uh, it's not every comedy night that comes with a charcuterie board, is it? So? Exactly, it's charcuterie board. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, or has a chair hanging from the ceiling, weirdly. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, so it's a it's a strange little little space, and it's not you know one of the big clubs, and I'm not that well known by you know um, sort of people on the circuit. Um, but I'm hoping that yeah, comedians feel that it's very safe for them, and it's a good mm. spot to try out new stuff. Um, and connect with audiences. And like I said, like to try stuff outside of London, because that is the one thing I've noticed um, that people who, you know, when you gig in London, it's a very different crowd. And yeah. you you don't get applause for stating your identity outside of London. Like if right. you say I'm gay or straight or Pakistani or Muslim, or like no one's going to applaud that in the way that they actually yeah. do in London, <laughs> in some smaller like London open mic clubs and stuff. Um yeah. And and there is a, a range of it's a it's a really good way for people to connect with audiences outside of London and understand what they like and how they might need to tweak jokes and what works and what doesn't uh, without yeah. going too far outside of outside of the city because only twenty five minute train from Waterloo it's <laughs> so easy. <laughs> um, in regard to confidence, which you talked about, do you get the same nerves now as a performer as you did, or do you get the same nerves as a performer as you are when you're running at night? Um. I don't, I don't so much running the night anymore. Mm. Um, again, it's so hard to know whether it was the drugs or me or the <laughs> night, those first, those first couple of months, I'm just gonna blame the drugs. Um, 
I try, I do try not to be nervous. And I think it's because my whole life mm. I've, I have always tried to do the thing um, that I, I don't know what's the word. It's like, I don't like there being anything that I just wouldn't do. Cause I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, well, that's scary. Mm. It's like, just jump on stage and do the thing you have to do. And I've had to be put, I've been put in so many different positions and situations as a singer yeah. So like I said, these Jewish weddings I did, you've got an earpiece in and you've got the MD going, right now go up to um, the the bride's brother. He's over there. His name's this. Bring him up on stage. And you're just going, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll do this. Fine. And and I remember the first time I did that, I was like, I can't say, I can't say no. Like you just do it. Yeah. And I have this with like comedy and, and, and running the night as well. It's like, well, you're putting the night on. So yeah. lean into it. What else are you going to do? Like, um, I know some people say you're meant to allow for your nerves. Um, I sort of do, but I will always try and try and calm them on a, on a normal night. Yeah. And also there's something brilliant about singing, mm-hmm. um, which is something I've employed on a couple of gigs is um, wh- as soon as I sing a note that calms you down because it calms your breathing down. Um, so mm. if I can do that when I'm, when I'm doing singing gigs, it's quite easy. And I have had a couple of comedy gigs where I've started, I think it was like a noisy pub and I knew that singing would cut through better than if I just started talking. So I sang like the first line of a Celine Dion song. Uh-huh. And then, um, what did I say? I was like, what is it? It's don't think I can't feel if there's something wrong. And I was like, she's, she just got a text message without a kiss at the end. Like it wasn't a strong <laughs> joke, but the, the song cut through at least. Yeah. Um, uh so yeah i don't know i think i think nerves are fine i need to do more gigs because yeah i'm out of, i'm out of yeah. practice and the more you do stuff the yeah. easier it gets do you watch comedy the same way now that you're a comedian yourself oh no <laughs> no not at all no i used to watch so much comedy mm. and I, I do still but now it, there is an element of it feeling like homework um <laughs> like you're constantly studying yeah. um and also sometimes it makes you arrogant because if there's some comedians you don't necessarily like or you know like the material of um you watch them you're like oh this is easy i could do this and then you don't you're like yeah you're forgetting the work that is involved um but no i mean i watch you know the chris rock special with a analytical lens um (laughs) and and dave Chappelle. i watch a lot of stuff of um and yeah well i mean all the american ones i watch a lot of yeah um and sarah keyworth is just so just she's so funny she's so so good um, yeah, watching a bit of her, look, quite quite a bit of her stuff at the moment, and just being like, "What? What is she doing?" <laughs> what's um, what's been your best and worst moment so far? Um, so the worst moment was there's lots of worst moments. There's lots of like meh moments. Mm. Nothing has made me go, "I don't want to do this anymore," and nothing yeah. has made me like, yeah, feel feel that bad. Uh, but yeah, the worst moment was probably the first comedy the first woking night when i could feel that i was like what am i doing i think maybe a, a something i thought was funny didn't land or whatever mm. or it was just all weird at the start and i looked over my boyfriend and he had like a real sort of grimaced face <laughs> on him and like that's not helping so um yeah so it's one thing when you feel it's going bad but when other people are telling you this is going bad <laughs> that, that was pretty that was pretty bad <laughs> um Best moment, I'd say the Soho Theatre thing, just get the applause yeah. at the end of that, having done, and also my work in progress, because that was stuff I put out there and it's trying to be a bit different and yeah. a bit more authentic. So when I combine the singing and the comedy, it's like, oh no, this is, 
this is possibly where I am, where I'm meant to yeah. try and, ex- you know, expand on these areas, like rather than trying to be a stand-up or trying to be this, you know, yeah. edgy kind of cool person or whatever. And just, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Soto Theatre moment was was awesome. I, yeah, there's a photo of me like on my crutches outside because I yeah. um, was, wasn't on my crutches for the gig and my leg was in so much pain. I couldn't walk properly and stuff, but I was like, no, it's easier because otherwise I'd have to make a joke of the cru- about the crutches <laughs> and I, I couldn't think of one that was funny enough. And I just thought, oh, it would end up, it's not worth it. <laughs> Be in pain. Um, but yeah, that was definitely yeah. the best moment. Yeah. How can we find out about you and how can we find out where we can come and see you? Um, Instagram, I'd say, is the is the best the best way. Hadja J Woodland um, on Instagram mm-hmm. and then Noisy Badger uh, slash events nilzybadger.co.uk slash events is where the working nights I put the info mm-hmm. on for that um, yeah and hopefully hopefully mm-hmm. I'll come to London and gig more I've got a gig in LA so I'm going to LA tomorrow for 10 days and I managed to get myself a gig so that'll be fun um, yeah don't come to that one but, uh, <laughs> I will yeah, ho- <laughs> hopefully have some more gigs in London mm-hmm. at some point yeah yeah that's the aim okay so finally Hadri could you sum up comedy in a nutshell comedy in a nutshell mm-hmm. um like the meaning of comedy i'm going to say the the, the meaning of comedy for me mm-hmm. um i would say this is a bad answer but i would say it's for me it's about feeling less lonely <laughs> it's really sad um, keep it light hey but, yeah keep it light <laughs> i do I, I but i think comedy for everyone i think laughter is about not being lonely after laughter is about connecting with people because when you're laughing at, at a joke yeah you're communicating to the other person that you get them uh, that there's some level of understanding there and it's it's on such a real deep basic level as well like your your body is showing someone else that you get them without words and i think that's so that's so powerful um but yeah with with loneliness i think i was really aware of this when i was going through my divorce mm-hmm. and i um it started going to a lot of, well, I, I wrote a character, um, on this writing course. I wrote about a character who went to comedy clubs by herself because she never laughed and she had forgotten what it was like to laugh. Hmm. And I ended up being that character and like towards the end of my marriage would go to comedy clubs by myself. And I remember going to the comedy store and uh, seeing the comedy store players, um, Mm -hmm. on a Sunday night, and just feeling so alive and happy and just so grateful that there was this incredible medium um and this this yeah incredible opportunity to just see people yeah being so funny and creative and so from from then i literally always went to comedy clubs by myself um any mainly well mainly soho theater i'd end up going to and seeing uh like whatever was on mm. or hanging around during the day and managing to wangle like a a sold out show ticket or something. Um, and it made me feel, yeah, less alone. Um, and I think that's still the case now. I do think it's laughter is a way of connecting people. Um, yeah. An antidote to loneliness. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Beautifully put. Thank you. Thank you so much for being my guest. It's been absolutely fantastic. I've loved it, Mark. Thank you very much. (laughs) 